Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hey, everybody. It's Monica Rogers here again with another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. And I am here with Duane Keir. Duane is a psychic channeler, hypnotist, ordained minister, spiritual teacher, and performer of sacred ceremonies. Her most recent book is called Return of the Divine Feminine, Rise of the Divine Masculine, and the Men Who Are Calling for Her Return. She is a former Christian fundamentalist with a Master of Religious Education degree from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. She is also the author of Fundamental Talisman, Resurrecting the Fundamentals of Relationship from the Fundamentalism of Religion. It has been referred to as a handbook for the recovering Christian fundamentalists. Duane lives in rural central Mississippi and created the website www.metaphysicalmississippi.com to help with the great spiritual awakening going on in the state, and I'll add, and the world. And you can find out more about her and her work at www.duanekeer.com. Her life and work motto is lightening up enlightenment. And I love that, Duane. I love lightening up enlightenment. It's so. I just think we take all this too much, too seriously. Too seriously. I know. We got to laugh a little more. And my goodness, as I stumbled through your intro, I was um, realizing that there's so much here. And I was getting so excited about, as I continued to read through the book your beautiful book and I you should see it I almost sent you a photograph I have so many markings I have I took all of those um colorful tags and I just started going nuts with highlighters and tags and I just couldn't wait to get on this interview and I felt like I was reading pieces of the puzzle that over here I've now I I think I just said it out loud earlier that I feel like every podcast I've been doing and every next person I'm led to is the exact next right person for the exact next piece of the puzzle. That is absolutely delightful. And I I hope uh, anyone who reads the book that by the time they get through with it, it's almost falling apart. That that's a sign of a good read, I think. Well, it really is, and and so you, you I just want you to know that that you'll be proud of me because, I, like I said, I think I've devoured <laughs> and destructed it. But I I want to welcome you here because I also want to just give you a moment to just really tell us a little bit about how you came to write this book. And I feel like what I want to also say is to set the tone, we're kind of in the, what I'm calling the, I think it's the third week of, you know, our kind of shelter in place, while the Mm -hmm. coronavirus has kind of had all of us, I'm calling it kind of a a spiritual timeout right now. <laughs> um, I feel like we've all been kind of like quarantined in a way that's really resonating for me as like a way to get still and quiet. 
and to start noticing what is wanting to happen in the world. Like, like almost like this madness can't continue. And so let's all just take some time and really look at what needs to change. I completely agree. Yeah, it's been really, really amazing, which we'll, we'll get more into. So yeah, I loved the intro to the book. So please do share. How did this come to be? Uh, well, I'll, I'll confess up front, it wasn't something that I had planned on writing. I was actually uh, in the middle of writing a book, gotten up one morning to go pee. Yeah. Before I could get to uh, the, the bathroom, I was stopped in the doorway between my bedroom and my bathroom with my guide saying, we need you to stop writing that book you're writing and we need you to interview men about the divine feminine and write a book on that. I'm literally standing in the doorway between the bedroom and the bathroom, needing to pee and going, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, hold the phone. (laughs) It's like, what? And some of that had to do with, I I was confused. I actually asked, are you sure you have the right person? And that wasn't like out of ego of arrogance. It was out of confusion uh, because I thought, are you sure? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm the right person to write this book because my background, I, as you said, I'm a former Christian fundamentalist minister, and one of the reasons that I left the ministry was because there was no place for me as a woman, and that I'd had enough of you know male gods and male saviors and male priests and male preachers and male deacons and male writers of the book of books of the Bible, what have you. I mean, I I did consciousness raising as a member of the National Organization of Women back when. Um, and I'm probably dating myself. I'm a crone now. I'm 65 years old. And it's a great time of life. Uh, for those of you that haven't made it here yet, it's absolutely wonderful. But you can see my confusion. It was like, have a, and I have to confess, I, what was going through my mind is, haven't we heard enough? from men about this issue and it was it was like me asking you know now why why are you wanting me to do this what what is this all about and I got this quote I mean it was literal it was like Duane the divine feminine is returning and she will stimulate the rise of the divine masculine to meet her the union will give birth to a new creation upon the planet we need you to help prepare the way. Well, and, and what I love so much, I mean, there's so much right there. First of all, I want to say, as someone who has also kind of had, I don't know that I knew what my guides were, right? Like, and I, and I think I still confess to you that I, I struggle to kind of really know or identify like my way of hearing or my way of answering that call. And, but what I love is, and it reminds me of something my dad used to say, which was, he used to tell this joke about, you know, kind of getting, getting a message from on high and kind of looking and saying, like, I say, is there anybody else up there? Right? Like, he didn't like that answer. Right? And so he'd be, he'd be joking around about like, okay, you know, let me, let me find out if there's somebody else that wants to direct me another way in a way that would be more pleasing, you know, to my own, to my own self. Um, And so, so I love that, because right off the bat, it's such a, 
it's so, it's so true, right? Like sometimes that voice that, or that thing that we're being guided to do seems like what, you know, like that, that, that seems crazy or that seems so opposite from what I expected or wanted to hear. And I just felt like I was the least likely person to be told this. Really and truly felt like that, you know, somebody else would be better at doing this. If you really and truly want and need somebody to do this, isn't there somebody else that could do a better job, you know? Yeah. But I think one of the reasons that that the that the call came to me, and it may have come to others at the same time, you know, and they're answering it in their own way. But I think one of the reasons that it did come to me is that I I found out that the book was supposed to be about what I learned during the process, and I needed to learn some things, and that that may be one of the main reasons I was one of the ones called to write the book or something like this. This is me being so excited. Like I, I like can't even let you finish a sentence because that's <laughs> what I was experiencing as I was reading the book. I was like, oh my goodness, this is such, these are pieces for me like that I needed to learn, mm-hmm. right? And there was something about, um, I, I wrote it down and y- you can take and run with this or come back to what you were saying, but this piece about... The human male can only fully express his divine masculine after he has awakened to his divine feminine counterpart. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's just one of these things that took me by surprise. And and as I continue to to work with the men, I, I realized it's because they can more easily connect to the divine feminine. She is a much more available, accessible energy or entity, however we want to refer to it, because it's incredibly difficult for the human male, and I think the human female for that matter, to connect to the divine masculine, because when we start talking about the divine masculine, we start getting hung up on what I refer to in the book as the obsolete concepts of God. These obsolete concepts of God, uh, and, and we can talk more about that, but that it's very challenging for these men, and I'm, I'm learning from other men too as they read the book, to connect to the divine masculine because what they've been taught about God, whether they believe it or not, but what they've been taught about God is so negative, it's hard for them to get in touch with their divine masculine. But when they connect to the divine feminine, whether we're talking again, whether we're talking about an energy or whether we're talking about an entity, that when they connect to their divine feminine, this is something that is inside all of us, then they're able to connect to the positive energy entity of the divine masculine without having to go through the again, what I refer to as the obsolete concepts of God. Yeah, well, and so I'm I'm over here actually having like a emotional, like my heart breaks, right? Because what the book also did for me was really allow me to step into the shoes of men and understand that they have been just as wounded, just as shut out from mm-hmm. what the divine truly is because of the way religion has enforced and I'm not saying all religions, but many religions have enforced this idea of a vengeful, wrathful, 
punishing God. And that, of course, and I'm making this up, but that if the male, if God has been genderized in the male form, that just as women have not had a way to identify with, you know, like the she or the feminine or the goddess being omitted from our lives, that in the same way that that has been wounding and, you know, created so many issues, the same is true for men who have had to resonate with the masculine as somehow identifying with this punishing God. Yes. And and I have to confess, and again, that's probably one of the reasons I was one of the ones that was called to write this particular book or something like it, is that that was a real learning process for me. It was like, oh my goodness, I've never even thought about it that I way before. Either. And that the patriarchal systems in place across the planet are just as damaging to men as they are to women. Now, that may be self-evident to most people, but I have to confess, Monica, it was not to me. I think I had this assumption that because the patriarchal systems were made more for for men than women, that all men were benefiting from them. And I found out from these men, nothing could be further from the truth. The patriarchal systems in place across the planet are just as damaging to men, especially these kinds of men, <laughs> trying to get in touch with their divinity as they are to women. And I realized that I had, quite frankly, a sexist attitude about that. And that that really kind of slapped me in the face, like, ouch. Well, and it's true. You know, what I was reading over and over again in the book is you kind of establish, right, kind of the foundation of the problem. And then you go into what what would life be like if more of the divine feminine is returning? And then what would life look like if more of the divine masculine were returning? And then what does that or how does that happen? And one of the things that you kept threading through that is that the message that you were continually pointed back to is this idea of facing and going within and doing our inner work first before we can ever go out there and help solve this global problem, which really is around this masculine and feminine, divine masculine and feminine, both kind of rising and becoming integrated. And so I don't, I want to kind of not lose our listeners here and I want to circle back, but what I wanted to kind of point to as you were talking about these, these assumptions, right? They're like these shadow sides of ourselves that we have to get close and intimate with and look at and say, wow, that was really sexist, right? Like I was coming, even if it was unintended, it really created kind of this dynamic that allowed you to keep making these assumptions that weren't going to help the problem. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole idea of inner work, you know, that's not something necessarily that religion encourages us to do. Spirituality does, but not necessarily religion. Religion is kind of, on the average, focused on an external, eternal other. And so that doesn't really encourage, you know, an internal, uh, external sameness. You're right. It's, I think we're kind of, it's more like God is out there versus, versus kind of an inquiry inside. Exactly. 
and that we can look to someone or something else to save us from ourselves or each other or some hell or what have you. I'm not saying that people who who are religious are not doing inner work, but I I do believe because I've been there that it's much more focused externally than is internally. Looking to a God, looking to a Savior, looking outside ourselves. And what I'm what I'm learning through this whole process is that not only is this a an inner job, that this is something that we all have to do for ourselves, that it kind of like that that whole idea of microcosm, macrocosm, as above, so below, heaven on earth, is that it's very difficult to see to give up on this concept of duality. If we are separated within ourselves, if I'm not in union within myself, it's very hard for me to see you as anything other than separate from me. And you're, you're not separate from me. I'm not separate from you. None of us are separate from each other. We are all divine sparks of the original source of all creation. As long as we are divided within ourselves, it keeps us divided from others. And as long as we're divided from others and see them separate from ourselves, it's incredibly difficult to see that union within ourselves. It's like it's flip sides of the same coin that have to work in conjunction with each other. Well, right. And and of course, when we think of the implications of being separate and, and kind of seeing the other as not part of the whole, that's where we get into discord, war, um, right? It's just not recognizing that actually, we are all connected. And we are all part of that, like you said, single source. And I want to, I want to kind of back up and really ask you this question. And and also for our listeners, how did we get here? Like, in other words, if we were to kind of look at history, ancient times, like what happened to the divine feminine? Like what happened to what happened to the feminine energy? Like why, why was it so suppressed? Where did that start or originate? And can you even answer that? I don't know. I can take a shot at it. Sure. Not, not that I have the answer. And, you know, we joke, it's like, well, right now, I think, you know, and tomorrow I get additional information, knowledge, or wisdom, I'll hopefully update my thinking and think something different. But where I'm coming from right now is that I think it's much more easily, much more easy to manipulate and control individuals and groups and populations when you separate them at their core and also from each other. And so I think I think somewhere it was figured out, you know, to have this power over others that we have to separate them from each other and uh, set them up to see others as other than themselves. And that also causes a discontinuity within themselves. And then they, when we're in that state, it's very hard for us to think for ourselves, to get in touch with our own feelings. And therefore, we're much more easily manipulated and controlled. My guess is right now that that may have been where all of this began with Certain individuals or groups or populations realizing, oh, wait a minute, if we want to have control here, uh, we can't have all of these people continuing to believe that they're all part of each other 
uh, that they're all together, that they're connected to the earth, uh, those kind of things. Right, or that they have their own answers within. Exactly. Right. That that's where you find them. And that my answer may be completely different from your answer, and that's perfectly all right. We don't have to be singing the same song. Uh, we can sing different songs, but the, the music is still going to enlighten all of us in the whole planet. Right. So I'm making it up again over here that like this in the kind of name of power and control, that the more that this idea that answers were out there, that there was a God outside of ourselves, that there was, there were people that knew better and that were more connected to God somehow, right? right. That, that they were yeah, getting, mediator. yeah, that yeah. they were giving us the answers that we needed to follow. And so, and I'm, again, I'm going to keep making stuff up over here because that's what we've got, right? Is that... <laughs> Uh, for women, and and again, this this is this is kind of interesting. I look at both masculine and feminine as being so necessary and powerful. And I often talk about this idea of yes, gender, right? It's like we look at these genders, male and female, because in the kind of creation, right? You need both in order to birth more human life. But then there's mm -hmm. the masculine and feminine energy, which is in all things, including inside of each human being. And the masculine and the feminine energy both serve two sides of our whole being, Mm -hmm. and represent all of the embodied energies that we contain within. And what's really interesting about that, and you know this from working with women, and I'm sure men, right? Because this is, you're kind of busting a lot of these myths and assumptions that this is only an issue for women, or at least I'm going to kind of, you know, expand my thinking on that thanks to you, is that I have often noticed that women disembody in order to kind of survive because I do feel that the body from an early age, at least in my case, has often told me and always told me, um, it doesn't feel good in here. It like this doesn't feel right. This, you know, and that started for me a lot in church, but also in the way that maybe um, I saw relationships playing out in the world. Mm -hmm. And all of it, you know, just felt so upsetting, you know, for lack of a better word. And so, again, like my solution at a young age was to just numb out, right? Don't feel it anymore. Right. And one of the unfortunate things, of course, is we have so many people who are disembodied because they can't kind of reconcile the the intense feelings that they have. And so in order to cope, they're numbing out or, you know, and what we need are people to be feeling. <laughs> we need people to get back in their bodies because it's actually kind of this interesting, you know, again, the whole experience, you can't wholly experience the divine without being in your body on this planet. Which is, for a lot of people, is a novel concept, Monica. And, and what you're saying is exactly where the end of the book begins. <laughs> because when I finished it, you know, I was told, my God told me, this is just the beginning. You, you think you're finishing the book, 
or this process, but this, this is just a beginning process. But this idea of embodiment, I mean, that seems to be the, the, the key. We have been told, you know, religion has told us that we're supposed to do certain things to get to heaven, so to speak. And I'm, I'm very new age. I'm very woo woo. I mean, as a psychic that I find more of a home there than anywhere, but the new age will tell us, you know, that you're trying to ascend. And it's like, I'm going, something doesn't feel right about that to me. You know, I'm getting in touch with my feelings. And as I, as I wrote this book, as I went through the learning process to be able to write this book, uh, one of the things that became very clear is that this idea of, of heaven or ascending or those kind of things actually keeps us out of our body, actually sees our body as something to overcome or in its most extreme place, the body or flesh being sinful or evil or, you know, those kinds of ideas. And what I found out through this process is that that keeps us disjointed. And this whole idea of embodiment is that if if we can bring the divine feminine, Lawrence, we help her return, that is going to automatically stimulate the rise of the divine masculine. And just as a natural byproduct, they will come into union with each other. And what happens out of that union is the birth of this new creation that they told me would happen. And I, I was kind of confused about, okay, I have no idea what this new creation is going to be. I don't know what you're talking about here. But as I started, I, more of it happened through the whole process. But the conclusion is, is that that new creation that will come from the union is what I refer to as the fully divine human. And that's defined as someone who can incorporate their divinity into their body, not just waiting for heaven or trying to ascend, but that in my personal belief system presently, I really and truly believe that we chose to incarnate into our bodies and that our bodies are our primary tool for consciousness and an expansion of our soul and our spirit, and that we're supposed to be coming fully into our bodies in that process, that that's what we're trying to do, is to bring all of our divinity into our bodies. And watching that process happen around me is very powerful and, and, and keeps me trying to do it as well, as opposed to getting to heaven or ascending or getting out of here. Instead of that, I'm trying to get more of that divinity within. You're talking about that inner work. Yes. Yeah, trying to get more of that divinity within me. And that means the union of both my divine feminine and my divine masculine so that they can come into union. And I think that is one of the keys to creation, which is also the key to manifestation. I, I think one of the reasons that we can't create, one of the reasons we can't manifest, no matter how many uh, manifesting workshops you go to, <laughs> no matter how many affirmations you say, the, the act of creation, the act of manifesting comes from the feminine principle and the masculine principle, irregardless of gender. Yes. Those principles coming together in union to be able to create and manifest. 
I, yes, I couldn't have said it more beautifully. And I think I want to also assert here mm-hmm. that this is where, again, I think that, that we can get really confused and kind of like heady about it. But there's this idea that somehow it, as we become more and more divine, that somehow we're not still human. And I think that that's the whole point is that it all gets to belong in inside of ourselves. And so mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? What I mean is if we can first come from within and actually get this piece about loving ourselves first, mm-hmm. like warts and all, like mess and all, that literally within the masculine and the feminine, there's the perfection and the imperfection. There's the Mm. goal and there's the desire. There's the being and there's the doing, right? And it's Mm -hmm. just simply being in that flow of being able to be in that human divine experience each day where we can look at ourselves tenderly, And just like, you know, Jesus or Muhammad or Mary Magdalene or any of those beautiful beings who did represent the embodiment of both the human and the divine, that they would be able to tenderly look at themselves at their own kind of human mess and call it divine. Mm -hmm. I love the way you put that. Yes. Yeah, that it's it's like it's not this big mystery and yet it is, right? Like I don't I certainly don't want to <laughs> invalidate the complication or the layeredness of trying to get to it, especially because I think so much of us have to unbecome. We ha- I, like I'm always saying or there's part of me that just keeps saying there's so much wisdom in letting everything fall apart because I go back yeah. to that expression of like no mud, no lotus. If the lotus is the symbol of enlightenment and it only grows in the mud. There's a reason why. I love that. And and which in my belief system, like like I said, right now, right. is that is that we chose to physically incarnate, to be here in a physical body in this physical material reality. And I don't see that as fallen. I see it as chosen. Because we knew that was the next best thing for us personally, for our soul development, our spiritual development, and that we all chose to come here together to do this together. In other words, we're not, we're not alone in this. We have to do our own work, but so does everyone else. <laughs> so we're all in this together. Well, which is why I love what you said about, you know, it doesn't matter how many manifestation workshops we go to. Yes, we can succeed and achieve, you know, happiness and bliss and different states of consciousness in this body and this lifetime. But we're not going to really be able to co-create this new world that's wanting to be born unless we're really paying attention to our neighbors and loving our neighbors like ourselves. And this is this piece I go back to again about self-love. It's like when we really, really accept ourselves warts and all, and we can then do the same to our neighbor, right? But it starts inside. Like we can't love them that way if we don't love ourselves this way. And I, I think that also can take us back to a conversation um, that could be a whole nother podcast, the, the difference between religion and spirituality. Oh, please, yes. You know, um, that 
again, religion kind of is an external uh, reference point, and spirituality is more of an internal reference point. And that I, I feel like re- religion wants to give you the answer, and spirituality said, um, go looking for your answers. Uh, you know, what is what is working for you? And the, I took very seriously, even when I was a Christian fundamentalist, that what, what I was being taught, uh, you know, I went to a Southern Baptist college, I went to Southern Baptist seminary, and what they kept saying is that you can have a personal relationship. And one of the things that frustrated me is that more and more that personal relationship was dictated about who you could have it with, how you could have it. And I'm going, wait a minute, I thought it I thought it was personal. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? right. And then the, and then it gets into like there's all these conditions, but what about unconditional love? And so there's all of these like conflicting narratives that just don't fit it's or can't integrate or something, right? Is what I'm hearing you kind of point to is this idea yeah. that, you know, as you kind of struggled to just have that spiritual autonomy, that it was it was like at some point it just didn't it no longer fit with what you were trying to practice inside of the the religion. Is that yeah accurate? And and that I was being taught that that was possible. Yeah, you know. And so that that there was a disconnect there. One of the things uh, along these lines that I learned from these men that that um, helped me understand. I I don't think we've talked about that after I agreed to write the book um, that I started getting a download of 33 questions that I was supposed to ask the men. When I got the download of the questions, I'm kind of looking at them like I'm not exactly sure why I'm supposed to ask that question or why I'm supposed to ask this one or what have you. But I've said yes to this process. You've given me the questions. Okay, I'll ask them. As I was asking um, the questions, one of the things that came up that, again, a learning experience for me, imagine that, is, is that it's very challenging, difficult, perhaps almost impossible for us to see ourselves as the spark of divinity or, or that we have the divine within us when we've been taught that you can only be divine if God is your father and your mother is a virgin. Right. It's like I, I really had to wrap my mind around that. It was like the men were saying, you know, you know we're, we're being told that God was Jesus' father, right? And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so that's what made him special because God was literally his father. Uh, we told that Jesus' mother is a virgin, Okay, and so that's, again, something that's supposed to contribute to him being divine. And so what the what the men were saying is that, you know, that sets you up to believe that there's no way I can be divine because God isn't literally my father like he was Jesus or some of the other saviors um, that we get in religious scriptures or and that my mother wasn't a virgin. And so there's even those stumbling blocks of I can't possibly be divine because my father wasn't an actual God and my mother wasn't a virgin. And that just sets us up for impossibility. See how that keeps us from connecting to our divinity. 
And when the men started pointing that out, it's like, you know, I've never even thought about that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it made sense why I was told to ask certain questions to to get those answers uh, that the men were going to be giving to the questions. Well, and exactly. And, and it makes me realize, you know, as you're saying this too, and as the men are, it, it makes such a difference, right? That this is that you're collecting all of this data from these men that have really started to illuminate for me this pattern that then gets played out. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about men's obsession or the worldwide obsession with virginity. Yes. You know, and how that word itself was never the origin of it <laughs> isn't even about sex. Not in the least. Yeah. Right? And so how all of this got so distorted, so completely distorted, and back to kind of this separation, it created these impossible ways for us to be with. And it really does kind of point back again and again to the power of story. And how story has the power, I think, to imprison or free us. You know, that's in- another thing that I learned from the men that it doesn't it doesn't really make any difference whether you believe the story or not. If the majority of the population does or it's just a given, whether you believe it or not, it's still affecting you and your ability to function in the world. Yes. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's not something that you have to believe in to be affected by it. And it goes back to what I believe that you're pointing out about self-love, it also keeps us from fully loving ourselves because we don't quite measure up, right? Our father was not a literal God and our mother wasn't a virgin, so there's no way, you know, that that we can measure up to all of the avatars who have come to try to teach us how to be a fully divine human. In other words, I, I feel like that they were trying to model that for us. It's like, no, no, I'm I'm a way shower. I'm showing you that this is the way that you can be too. But we're we're set up as being less than, and when you're less than, you know, that self love becomes even more challenging and difficult. I want to kind of get more into these questions, right? <laughs> but I also really recognize what you just said about. Like, I'm over here thinking, what is it? Like, what do we do to kind of resolve this age old problem that was created with this original story that everybody keeps dragging into our future, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what do, how do we resolve the issues? If, like, it's like, is it the Bible? Is it religion? How do we? How do we all kind of awaken from this trance? Because, of course, I call it the trance of unworthiness for women. But mm-hmm. clearly, this is a trance that we're all in that ha- that somehow, you know, we're unworthy of like that we need to be saved, that we need to look for, you know, solutions outside of ourselves, like all of this again, separation from really knowing our own truth. And I just kind of put that question out there, like, what in the world? Like, how do we kind of interrupt this just so unhelpful narrative? And what do you do when an ancient story, how do you kind of re 
position it in a way that just makes sense. Well, what I learned through this process is that, and not being too flippant with it, is that it's actually um, the return of the divine feminine. Um, that is what is going to do it for women, but it's also what's going to do it for men. Um, that the return of the divine feminine empowers women, and that the return of the divine feminine empowers men into their divine masculine, um, and for women as well. Uh, when I was asking questions, you know, about how do we do this? You know, how do we facilitate this process? The men were very open and honest about that the return of the divine feminine means that everyone, not just women, but men support women personally and politically and socially and economically. I mean, they were the ones who who said this. It wasn't me asking them, shouldn't you support women, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you know, it's going to take all of us doing this. It's going to take our being uh, practicing and becoming more comfortable with referring to the divine in feminine terms and not just masculine terms, because those masculine terms take us back to those obsolete concepts of God. And so when we dare to use uh, feminine terms for the divine, goddess, she, her, divine feminine, what have you, um, that that's part of this process um, as well. They also indicated that focusing more on spirituality than religion, uh, that's not saying that people have to give up their religion if it's working for them, but that it's going to have to become more of an inner process as opposed to an outer process. Or an integrated process, right? Because, yeah. Even better, yes. Yes, that it's, it's got to take the union of that, that it's got to be an integrated, unified process within ourselves and that we've got to do our own work. I was delighted that another thing that they brought up was exposure to other cultures and religions besides our own. It expands us to find out about other cultures and religions. And and we learned that maybe uh, one of the reasons that we believe the way we believe is because of the family we were born into, the culture we were born into, and that if we had been born into another family in a uh, in a different culture, that we might believe differently. And so when we're exposed to that, it bans us to see that there were other possibilities for ourselves, not just the one that we were that we were born into. And they even referred to past religions and spiritual paths. Uh, you know that you can you can go back to. Um, uh, the Greeks, the Romans, and keep going back far enough that there isn't just a God giving birth to himself without a goddess. It still cracks me up how Zeus gives birth to Athena out of his head. And it's like... Right, right. Well, yeah. it's like Adam from the rib, right? Exactly. It's just... And again, I think that this is where, you know, if you're able to kind of step back and look at how all of these stories... <laughs> Right. Um, kind of have served going back to kind of the control and power narrative, mm-hmm. you know, versus where they actually originated from and how they actually originated. And what happened to them along the way. It's like, And what happened to them along the way? You, you so brilliantly use the, the word layers. You know, there's so many layers to this. It's like, OK, here's the story that we have today. 
But what might have happened to it along the way? I use the example of Medusa in the book. You know, she's this evil snake-headed demon. And if you will go, what you say, layers, you know, if you'll keep peeling through the layers, the original story is is that she was raped and that she began fighting back and got punished for it. That mm-hmm. that's a completely different story than some hero slaying her and you know being victorious, um, as opposed to you know a, a deeper layer of the story. Well, and there you go, right? You can't have any can't have any stories out there about strong females. Like God forbid they get some idea in their head, right? And that's where I go, and I'm like saying they, and I'm angry, right? And there's that there's that fire, and there's that anger, and I'm like, who's they, Monica? Who's they? But then I go back to power and control. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so funny because, again, like growing up my whole life, right, evil, sin, blah, blah, blah. Sin is separation. Like, I think that that actually is the origin of the word sin. And it makes so much sense in this particular um, uh, positioning, does it not? It's like. Oh, my gosh. It's just like it's it's like the cosmic joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's the cosmic it's in. Well, it's the human joke. It's the it's the kind of again, this is where you said lightening up enlightenment. It's like I get it because without the sense of humor, we would be so pissed. We would like we couldn't laugh at just the human folly of it all. The absurdity of it all. And I think we also have a right to our anger and to be pissed. Oh, you know, do we ever one of the things that the, uh, the men talked about Uh, you know, welcoming back the divine feminine is, you know, reconnecting with the earth because the earth and the divine feminine are so closely integrated. And this whole idea, um, especially from the uh, geo-Christian tradition of, you know, having dominion over the earth, you know, multiply and have dominion over the earth, how it affects that women are supposed to multiply and somebody's supposed to have dominion over them. And it's that that interconnectedness there that we're not just talking about men and women anymore. We're talking about the very planet upon which we live and how how it affects us and how it's affecting our ability to live with each other and live on the planet. And you were talking about, you know, being angry or pissed. That's one of the major emotions that women have the most difficulty. Uh, yes, difficulty with. But it's really interesting. One of the things I learned from the man, and of course the man bots culture, is that it's one of the only emotions that men are allowed to have is to be angry. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to be sad. They're not supposed to be scared. They're not supposed to be vulnerable. And quite frankly, that's that's killing them, uh, literally killing them to not be able to have their full range of emotions and and that they only have one emotion that they can express uh, just in the way that that one emotion is an emotion that women are not supposed to express. The idea of being angry, angry and pissed off. It's what else I love about, you know, kind of pointing back to the emotions are in order to feel them and really you know, kind of experience the wisdom that they have to teach us, we do have to get back in our bodies. And we do have to allow ourselves permission to feel the range. Again, like anger, it's so interesting. When you allow yourself to really feel anger or sadness, it doesn't stay there. It actually, 
as you know, moves and transitions and transmutes. It's it's there to give you wisdom in that moment. But when we suppress it, when we shut it down, when we don't feel it, it just waits for us. It just waits for the day that we're ready. It's got to complete that cycle. And that's one of the things that the divine feminine is so good at is reminding us of our cycles, right? Um, yes. Is that if you interrupt the cycle of anger, it is going to follow you around until you complete the cycle to actually what I call fully experience it and express it the way you need so you can then release it. Um, you know, that, yes. that um, adage, what what you resist persist. So yes. if you'll start resisting it and actually experience it and figure out a way to express it in a way that's healthy for you and others around you, then you complete the cycle and it doesn't follow you around anymore. Well, and that's where you can transmute from the human to the divine because and recognize that where anger is a human emotion and may seem destructive, that the divine can take that anger and transmute it into something positive, something fierce, something moving, something that purifies. And it's, it's interesting to kind of, again, look at how we as humans, we're so busy running, hiding, you know, like trying to like, God, please, I don't want to feel that. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, run toward it. There's so much enlightenment, enlightenment there. There's so much healing there. There's so much transformation there. And again, like, this is why I'm both kind of like, you know, I, I think we can all relate as in the days of Corona of being in both a state of, you know, simultaneously like awe and despair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like there's so much here, too, in terms of the layers, right? Like you were saying before about, you know, let's look at just the fact that we're suffering from a respiratory illness in this virus. And yet, the Amazon, the lungs of the planet mm-hmm. have been crying out to us for... Mm-hmm for ages now. And it's almost like, I feel like we're being shown like we're the virus, you know, like we need to like get clear about we're all connected. And you can't just keep we can't just keep mindlessly consuming and running and separating from the truth. It's like what we have to really kind of look at is, if everything is interconnected, then how can we take the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and really alchemize into this kind of new new way of being, new way of relating, new way of living on this planet. And, and to go back to, to what you were saying about Mother Earth is this idea that if you kind of follow stories back in so many stories, the Earth is the goddess. The Earth <laughs> is a goddess, right? And the sun, the god, right? And and again, this idea plays out over and over in the micro and the macro. But we have to kind of like look at it in this most minuscule way. And then as we kind of see it playing out in this macrocosm, and be able to kind of get this idea that it just, it just is, is kind of this, this endless eternal 
life that that life just keeps going and going but there's there's an opportunity a window like this coronavirus for in my world is such a disguised gift and and that doesn't mean that we're not going to have a tremendous amount of loss and a tremendous amount of grief but i feel like with that we're being asked to get very very quiet and clear and to feel our feelings i and one of the things that's so interesting about that is that when the when the men were talking about you know how do we help facilitate this process the return of the divine feminine when they started talking about the rise of the divine masculine how do we facilitate that process there were three really major areas lots of details in them but three major areas was um, the expression of the full range of emotions for them and, and for women. But this idea that we have a right to all of our emotions, just exactly what you were talking about. One of the ways that men are given permission to express their divine masculine is through artistic endeavors, music and art and theater and those kind of things. In other words, that they can do that safely uh, without uh, having to protect themselves and defend themselves. In other words, those are, those are acceptable ways. But that it does um, help with the rise of the divine masculine to find something artistic and creative to do. And mm-hmm. they really talked about taking part in ceremonies and rituals, so that there was something about ceremonies and rituals, which of course is something that, you know, the divine feminine has done since the beginning of time, you know, rituals around birth and death and cycles, right? Like the all of that. And men are Mm -hmm. saying that that is something that would help with the rise of the divine masculine. And it's not lost on me that if we're looking at what these men have said would help them with the rise of the divine masculine, the, the, the main thing will be the return of the divine feminine, help you know, help facilitate the return of the divine feminine. That's the thing that's going to help with the rise of the divine masculine. But also these other three of express a full range of emotions, artistic expression, ceremonies and rituals. It's not lost on me that that seems to be what I'm seeing most people do right now in in the middle of being at home. You know, they're they're trying to get in touch with their emotions, not just the positive ones, but the negative ones and, and trying to balance them out. There is all sorts of artistic expression going on right now of here, you can do this artistic thing or this art, you know, you can do, let's do this art project. And I'm continually seeing where people are performing ceremonies and rituals and getting together and, and beginning new ceremonies and rituals. And so I'm going... This is, I mean, it's just not lost on me that the very things that these men were saying that they felt like would bring about this union and the birth of this new creation, the fully divine human, is exactly what's going on right now. I'm just, I have full body chills because it it's true. It's just, these are the disguised gifts. And it's, it lately I've been like, wow, like, what a miracle. Like that's the word that comes up. And again, I for I know and I'm just starting to know about people that we're losing right now, right? And you know, and and I'm not here to res- resolve or you know like that's all very real, right? It's not minimizing that or negating no, no. see the gift. Right. And then and and on this again, this flip side, right? This 
death and rebirth. I mean, that is really what we're seeing right now is this cycle of death and rebirth. And it's fascinating. I also want to read this because I I loved, of course, back to my sticky notes. (laughs) So I'm, I'm reading, I'm on chapter 60, or sorry, on page 69. Uh, hold on. And I've got, just for our readers, chapter eight, what I learned, the vision of the returning and the rising. Uh, with your permission, I wanted to read this because this Later. is what you, okay. So one man shared quite personally what the rise of the divine masculine would look like to him. I would be more of a positive role model. I'm very compassionate but I would be more openly compassionate. It would give me a platform to be more of that and openly emotional, to be those things openly without apologizing. My having more feminine qualities where a female could have more masculine qualities without having to apologize. It would be more of a blend. A man can be more feminine without being called a fag or weak. A woman could be more masculine without being called a bitch or a dyke. Less ridicule and less judgment for being both. It's going to take men being more of an example or a renegade without the fear of reprisal or chiding. And then underneath, he said that, you said, ah, once again, the fear of ridicule, Mm. how it ostracizes us from ourselves and from each other. It is so degrading for both men and women. I couldn't say it better than the man said it himself and, and how the men have said this. And I, and again, it's not lost on me that if we're talking about this as a time for the return of the divine feminine, for the rise of the divine masculine and giving birth to this new creation of the fully divine human, that we're what one of the issues that we've been dealing with over the the last several years is how people respond to gays and lesbians and transgender, what have you. It's like that in itself, to me, is symptomatic of our separation, um, that that we, we shouldn't have to worry about whether or not we're going to be accused of not being straight or not. In a world where we are in union, the divine feminine and divine masculine is within union within ourselves and then outside ourselves, the, the idea of being straight or crooked or whatever <laughs> is just a non-issue. Yeah, it's really a non-issue. And we're seeing so much of this kind of gender fluidity, I think, mm-hmm. for this very reason. It's this really rejection of needing to be put in a box anymore, of needing to separate. I think that that's kind of the the external manifestation of the integrated in some ways. And that's not necessarily, but I, but I think we're being forced to reckon with it as, mm. as people like it's got to be revealed for it to be healed, I always say, right. And so that. there are those people that came to bring that message of unity, um, of like gender, gender is like, don't put me in a box. I'm not my gender, you know, just because I was born in a female body. It doesn't mean that I'm this, that, or the other thing, right? Like it's this idea that we get to be, we get to be everything that we came here to be. And that fully 
divine. Self-expressed. <laughs> yes, yes. And I just, this was the other page that I just loved so much. It was this idea of like, you have on two pages between 72 and 74, kind of like what what the divine feminine looks like and what the divine masculine looks like and how we would know, right? And so I just loved some of these, especially on page 74, where you're talking about what would some of the so what would some of the signs of the divine masculine rising be? And it was it was some of these things, which I loved joining together of people around the world to overcome global problems, people working together, not in competition, but in cooperation. And that's that masculine or distorted masculine, which is competition, and then cooperation, which is divine masculine. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the divine. It's actually both. It's the divine masculine and feminine integrated. Yeah. Against common global problems. The other one, softening of the earth and all relations, active mm-hmm. ceremonies, which is what you were talking about, mm-hmm. honoring all relations, the release of weapons of war, rising tolls of response to earth and its beings, reduction of greed, competition, power over moves to power with. So power power over, in, instead of power over, it moves to power with. Almost like this idea of like, I love Ram Das, how he says, walking each other home. It's right. It's not, it's not one is better than the other. It's like we're here for each other to walk each other home. We're here to be, to lean in on each other, not to overpower one another, to be in power in cooperation with. And I just have to point out what you're reading is what these men said. I know. And I love it. Yeah, it's that. Again, you know, the learning process was my assuming that the patriarchal systems in place across the planet was was benefiting all men. And and, you know, the the major lesson here for me was that it's not benefiting anyone. No, it's not benefiting anyone. And then, you know, I think that in kind of a perfect conclusion and and I I don't want this to end. I really I would like could like I'm I'm like we're only at chapter 10. Let's keep going. But I really love this piece about how. And this is what I've loved so much about reading this book is not only you are revealing such an important conversation from the perspective of men around the divine feminine rising and you know how I mean, there's so much here, but then you get into actually the practicality, like in what ways can we facilitate this returning and the rising? Mm-hmm. And so I would love to kind of talk talk about this just in our last kind of closing, you know, few minutes here, because I think that this, what I was starting to to read in this was so useful. It was so, in one way, very enlightening to me, what what I found out from the men about this, but also so comforting is that they're very committed and dedicated to facilitating this return and rise. And again, going back to that, for them, the the number one Class A priority uh, in all of this is to facilitate the return of the Divine Feminine, all of us. 
every one of us needs this. The planet needs this. And uh, that they're on board with helping facilitate the return of the divine feminine. And then just that idea of, you know, that the way we facilitate it is is the full range of human emotions for everyone, uh, not just some emotions for one gender or the other. This artistic expression, um, I see so much potential in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I started I started seeing visions of men coming together in groups uh, for artistic expression, but also holding those those some kind of spaces and exercises for boys find artistic expression, and that you can find artistic expression through ceremonies and rituals. You know, how do how do we develop new ceremonies, new rituals for who we want to be, not who we have been taught to believe we are? It's been a very powerful process. Yeah. And, and I loved this piece too. Like, so you said, these men brought it back down to the individual and what we can each do. And a few of these are just so, so beautiful, right? It's like, listen, be more mindful, take compassionate actions, allow everyone to fully self-express more compassion, more understanding, create environments within communities, schools, churches, civic forums, which model and encourage self-expression, understanding, compassion and support for all. We can also help facilitate this by using more compassion and by taking people under our wings Mm. to mentor and help one another. When someone tries to express that opposite side of themselves, and I loved that language, support them. Don't let a boy expressing feminine traits be bullied. Be a person in his life who is there for him, the one he gets to go to and talk to and can express his feelings to. If a girl is getting flack for being too masculine, you can be the person that they know they can talk to. So again, all of these practical ways as well in the book to be part of the change that is wanting to happen and to help facilitate the returning of these rising divine energy. It, it was quite, uh, as I said, uh, sometimes I just, I'm, I am so humbled and honored that first of all, my God said, we want you to do this. And even though I was a tad bit testy to begin with, I'm so glad that I needed to pee so badly that I went ahead and said yes <laughs> and experienced this whole process. I have a feeling they probably wouldn't have left you alone anyway, probably regardless. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, we'll just be patient, right? Because that's, that's also, you know, very true in my world um, in terms of, you know, <laughs> eventually somehow I get there. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I just want to honor you. I just because it, it really does take something to follow that voice and to really trust and to surrender to that process that you were led to really talk about <laughs> Talk about the exact kind of beauty of what's created when you had that divine feminine piece and you allowed yourself to kind of become integrated into that divine masculine understanding. Mm -hmm. And then the birth of this happened. And now it's like people like me get to experience your creation, right? Like what an amazing kind of, again, miracle of allowing that inner divinity to lead you 
in a way that is in service to all of us. So I just really want to thank you. Thank you so much for your work. Thank I, you. I know that we'll do this again, Duane, because I think we could just talk about so many different subjects. I want to thank you for who you are and the work you're doing and that, that you continue to do it. Uh, especially during these times, because your work is is easily accessible and available and you don't have to necessarily go anywhere or do anything to uh, to uh, access it because it is available. Um, and I, I hope anyone that's listening to this or any of your other podcasts will just post them all over their Facebook pages and mm. about them. So we can help you do your work, because I think your work is very much part of this process of the return of the divine feminine and the rise of the divine masculine. I think so, too. And thank you so much for the acknowledgement. And I, I, I'll say thank you. Yes, it's true. And I think it's just so beautiful, again, like how it's all divinely choreographed, like we all need each other. And I feel like, you know, if, if I can help bring these just beautiful pieces of the puzzle to light, right? Like, um, just again, this is my revelation project, your revelation project, everybody who's listening, who's doing their own, right? It's not that these pieces are supposed to fit in any kind of linear way, but that they're pieces that you can consider, right? As maybe a missing piece, or maybe it fits in with something else or fits in a different way, right? To how your kind of your worldview and hopefully, you know, all of these just beautiful pieces are revealing a different, more accessible picture where everything gets to belong. And so again, I just, I love everybody. Thank you so much. And again, Duane, will you and I will be following up, but in the meantime, more to be revealed. If you're someone who would value an opportunity to work with us in a deeper way, we'd love to offer you an introductory free month into our online monthly membership, Remembering Sisterhood. Join us there for soul diving, live coaching, special guests, journal prompts, tips for living your most authentic life, and so much more. Simply go to our website, jointherevelation.com, and click on our membership link, using the code podcast in the checkout. We can't wait to welcome you there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.